0: Welcome to church. Welcome to you wherever you are, wherever you're tuning in from. If you're one of the lucky few that are in our campus, if you are at your home right now, if you're at a friend's house, if you are at one of our light rooms in Buffalo, just wanted to say a huge welcome to you this morning. Uh, know that today's going to be an amazing day. I'm sure it's already been amazing for you, uh, but we trust that it will just continue to, to bless you and empower you um, as we dig into the Word this morning. And if you're just tuning in, maybe you found your way here from some strange link or some friend sent you some odd church link, uh, we're in our third week right now of our message series titled Settled, that we are settled on the promises of God, we're settled on the nature of God, we are settled. We're settled on how He feels about us, we're settled on the covenant that He has given to us. We We've made up our mind, and we are settled on the things of God. And today, we're going to dig into, you know, maybe a little bit of an intense topic. Uh, that we're going to talk a little bit about shame this morning. And I guess to start it off, I'd love to ask you the question: You know, have you ever done something that you are deeply ashamed of? now I'd like to invite you to take a second and just find that person next to you and let them know what that thing your deepest darkest secret let them in on what that just kidding we're we're not going to do that we're we're not that kind of church um you know but in talking about shame you know I was recently talking to a counselor and they you know just helped me be the better version of myself and They helped me to recognize that, you know, there's a lot of things that motivate me to want to be the person that I want to be, to want to be, you know, the best dad and the best husband and the, you know, the best pastor. And, you know, in the process of this, he helped me to recognize that one of the strongest driving factors in my life was that I was being motivated by shame. And I'm sure that a lot of you feel kindred to that and that, you know, if you ever find yourself feeling Haunted or tormented or plagued with you know this identity-wrapping emotion of shame that maybe you feel disqualified because of something that you've done in your past. Maybe you feel disqualified because something you didn't do in your past. And you know, my prayer is is that as you've spent this month reflecting on Jesus, on the amazing sacrifice that He gave for us on the cross as we celebrated easter this month that as we talk about and rejoice about the empty tomb that he is not a dead king but that he is our risen savior that this love this reality overwhelms our hearts and drives out the shame that's on the inside of us so before we begin let's say a word of prayer lord we thank you so much for the amazing life that you've given to us. God, as so many of us, especially us Canadians, find ourselves in, you know, some challenging times right now as a lot of people are facing a lot of different issues and we're asking Father this morning that you would be with us. We ask that as we're in our homes and maybe we would like to be in church this morning, but we're at home, I ask that you would, that your your presence would just wrap us, that it would engulf us wherever we are, wherever we find ourselves this morning. I ask that as we dig into your word this morning, that you cause us to see things about ourselves that maybe we haven't been able to see, or maybe that we haven't wanted to see, not in a condemnation way, but in a way that would bring change, that would bring transformation that we so desire. Father, even this morning, we take a second and lift up Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, our Premier Doug Ford, and what is there facing a lot of different crises and challenges. We pray this morning for your wisdom, that it would just rest heavily on them, that they would know how to govern us out of this season. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, as we talk about shame and condemnation this morning, uh, the truth of the matter is these are not new concepts. Really, they are kind of the original tactic uh, that the enemy has used in order to separate people from God. And, you know, if you flip just a few pages at the beginning of your Bible, you'll see, you know, in the book of Genesis, we are introduced to this perfect world. And God creates a perfect world. It's perfectly uh, filled. It's perfectly inhabited. Uh, and and really, one of the things that's interesting is that we get to see this beautiful picture of what life looks like before shame enters the scene. You know, we know that God creates a perfect world, and Adam and Eve's job is to rule and subdue and take dominion. And you know, then they have this interaction with the serpent. And you know, we see that Eve is deceived and she eats the apple and then she brings the apple to Adam and Adam also partakes of it and and we get to watch this beautiful interaction that they had be radically changed because of shame and and this is actually what it says in Genesis chapter 2 verses 25 it says Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame and and right this is this is amazing you know i mean not necessarily the naked part Although, that probably would be pretty amazing. Uh, But really what's so amazing about this is that they, they were naked, they were vulnerable, they were completely exposed. And yet they felt no shame. Then, you know, they eat the apple, they sin, and shame almost immediately enters the scene. We know that, you know, right after they ate the apple, they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves so that they were no longer naked. And then it goes on to say that they hid from God, that God calls to them, where are you? And they said, I was naked, so I was afraid, and so I hid. And and so we see immediately this relationship of intimacy was broken, this separation being created because shame enters the scene. And You know, it would be important to know, you know, we talk about that Adam and Eve sinned and sometimes talking about sin can be a little bit, you know, faux pas, especially on a Sunday morning service. But the truth of the matter is, is that we can't deal with shame. We can't talk about shame without dealing with sin, because I would say almost the majority of sin is in the response or the majority of shame is in response to sin. Also, it's important to note that guilt is different than shame, right? Because guilt is is, is action-based. Guilt is because of something that we did, whereas shame is not action-based. Shame shame is identity-based, and in that guilt, it believes that, you know, I did something bad, and whereas shame, it believes that I am bad. And so in that, we feel guilty for what we did, but we feel ashamed for who we are. And and so I spent a little bit of time this month really digging in to try to understand shame and, you know, where does shame come from and what causes shame and how do we get trapped in shame, but also how do we get free from shame. And, you know, I came across really, you know, some would say maybe the shame expert, um, this woman by the name of Brene Brown. And And this is what she says about shame. She says that shame is the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. That something we've experienced, something we've done or failed to do, makes us unworthy of connection. So... Here's the truth on this Sunday morning is that, you know, I've I've no idea what you have done. I, I don't know what your secret is. I don't know that thing you carry. You know, maybe it's that you have mountains of crushing debt. Maybe, you know, you're ashamed of some sexual past that you have. Maybe there is an addiction that you're secretly battling with. Maybe it's something, you know, shameful that you did years ago. But one of the things that I have learned is that, if we take on the identity of those situations it begins to change the way that we see ourselves and we see so many people walking around believing the lie maybe that says you know I'm defective I'm broken I'm damaged I'm flawed I'm, I'm dirty I'm ugly I'm impure maybe this morning you might feel like you're disgusting because of something that you did and and to add to that you know the devil doesn't make things any better for us and then you know he's constantly whispering in our ears you know that you know you're unlovable you're not you're not good enough you're weak you're you're pitiful you're insignificant you're unworthy you're unwanted and so we have this amazing covenant with Jesus as we celebrate this month, this amazing sacrifice that gave us entrance into this new relationship with him. And and Jesus gives his very life so that we could be reconnected to the Father. And yet so many of us live distant because of this thing that I'm going to call shame-based thinking shame-based thinking. And and why we're going to talk about this this morning is because I've, I've learned something over the years is, is that oftentimes shame is hard to see. That when we've lived under an identity for so long, it's hard to even see that we think certain things about ourselves. That they so naturally come up on the inside of us that it's hard to see. And so so I want to take a second and just talk about three ways that we can identify this shame-based thinking, right? And the first one would be that, you know, that we're vulnerable to perfectionism. We're, we're vulnerable towards trying to make ourselves seem perfect in that, you know, we, we attempt to silence the shame that we feel on the inside of us with this perfect performance, that if I could just be perfect on the outside, it would somehow silence the shame on the inside, and, and oftentimes, the way that we see that is, is that people, myself, who deal with this can often find it difficult to admit to failure, right, where we're looking, constantly searching around the whole world to try to find ways that things that are happening in our life aren't our fault. The second thing is that you know, that because we are critical of ourselves, it drives us to become critical of others. And in a world, in a culture that we're living in right now, this has almost become too common in that our self-criticism drives us to criticize people. But here's the truth is, is that shamed, people shame people, right? And that we hate the sin on the inside of us. And it drives us to hate others, even though the sin that we're hating in others is oftentimes the very sin that's on the inside of us. We become hypercritical, hyperjudgmental of people and situations. And the third thing, this is probably the most common thing in our lives, is is that we use self-defeating thoughts to shield ourselves from disappointment. That we focus on the worst possible outcomes. We, we focus on all the ways that things can go wrong in order to sabotage opportunities or relationships that we can somehow shield ourselves from this self-inflicted, inevitable outcome that we could possibly experience in the future. So, we're afraid to be rejected, therefore we predict that the situation is gonna bring rejection and therefore we don't put ourselves out there in this relationship. We're so convinced that we're gonna fail in this new business venture that we never step out and try to follow the dream or the passion that's on the inside of us. We use these self-defeating thoughts to shield ourselves from disappointment. Now, this may be ways to identify some shame-based thinking, but shame can expose itself in many different ways in that, you know, shame can make one parent, you know, aggressively lash out for no apparent reason. And shame can also make another parent, you know, get drunk and totally disengage from their family, right? Shame can drive your mother-in-law to criticize your parenting. Shame can cause you to become hypercritical of others simply because it's the outflow of our hypercritical nature towards ourselves. Shame can look like a whole bunch of different things. And, you know, in my life, like Adam and Eve's story, my shame was sin-driven. It was sin-motivated. It was, you know, I can remember being I don't even know, 10 or 11 years old, and I was with all of my friends riding bikes like we did every single day because the only thing that we had to play with was, you know, the original Nintendo, and so, you know, you could only play so much Blades of Steel before you thought, let's just go ride our bikes. And so I remember being outside, riding our bikes, and we were hitting these jumps, and all my friends kind of started to huddle over in a corner, and. You know i didn't pay much mind to it at first and a little bit of time went by and i could hear the laughing and the whispering and so i rode my way over and saw that they had found a porn magazine and you know i looked at it and you know i i liked what i was seeing but then i felt shame because i liked what i was seeing because i knew what i was looking at i shouldn't be looking at and so shame enters the scene i can remember being a little bit older than that maybe 12 years old and at another friend's house and you know my friend had an older brother and I thought the older brother was so cool and I snuck into his bedroom one time and there was a cologne that he had and you know I stole his cologne and then I left with the cologne and you know couldn't even put it on because I was so ashamed that I could do something like that. I can remember going and being in high school and You know, being a good student and, you know, being exceptionally good at science. And it was just a great thing that I could do. And then getting caught because my teacher found out that I was cheating on my tests. And I can remember so many times through my life, looking at myself and feeling like, who am I? Right? I mean, I'm the guy who looks at wrong stuff and I'm the guy who likes to look at wrong stuff, I'm the guy who does wrong stuff, and so I guess that must mean that I'm just a bad person. And, you know, then realizing how could God ever use someone like me? How could God use this horrible person like me? And and, and now here's the good news is that I am, I'm no longer ashamed of my past because You know, my shame as we celebrate what Jesus did for us on the cross, I've been forgiven, I've been set free, that I'm a new creation, a new creature in Christ, that that Jesus has covered my sin, past, present, and future with his blood. But but here's the bad news, is that almost every single day, I still battle this shame-based thinking where my identity is concerned. Right? And so for me you know I'm, I'm not ashamed of what I did before but but oftentimes the shame-based thinking wants to pop its head up where I try to to work or use my work to prove my worth and you know, in my younger years, it was, you know, in sports, trying to be the best and the captain of the team to prove that I'm special, that that I'm good, or maybe it was in my grades or getting accepted into a good program in university that, that I could somehow work hard enough to prove my worth. And and even sometimes, honestly, with, with being your pastor, I can feel that way, that I try to work hard and be the best communicator and the best preacher and just the happiest guy in order to prove my worth. And And so instead of often dealing with my shame, I medicate it. I try to justify my value. I try to cover my shame because if I can just be the best. But here's the thing, as each of us know, this doesn't work. Because no matter how hard I work, I can't work enough. No matter how many places I try to be, I I can't be everywhere. No matter how good I get at some things, the truth is, is that can't do everything. And so daily, daily I disappoint. People, situations, myself, and if I'm not careful, this moment can reinforce the shame, this lie that says I'm not enough. So obviously, right, like I want to, I want to reject it. I want to, I want to get in those situations. I want to push those things aside. But, but, but here's the thing. Here's the, the tricky thing often about shame is, you know, is that anytime that you think something bad about yourself, right? Usually, I mean, most often there is truth to it, right? Like, you know, for example, you might be sitting at home right now and dealing with this shame-based thought that says, you know, I'm bad. And and, and here's the problem with that is that, you know, actually, right, we, we are bad, right? Like even the Bible tells us that that we're all sinners, right? That like Paul, that no matter how much we try to do good, we always do the things we don't want to do. and We don't do the things that we know that we should do. And so there's truth to it. Maybe it's the feeling that you are inadequate. And yep, I mean, that's true too because we aren't designed to do life by ourselves. And, you know, maybe you're sitting back thinking, you know, I I just hate the fact that I'm such a rude person. And, and, and here's the truth is that sometimes you are, right? Like, I mean, I see some of the things that you post online. Sometimes you kind of are a little bit of a jerk. And, and here's the, here's the news, is that all of us have bad things about us. All of us have things in our life that we can be ashamed of. And, and here's the truth of that, is that as long as you are focused on you, what you are, what you are, what you should be, what you shouldn't be, as long as you're focused on you, you are vulnerable to shame. I mean, this is the very thing that we saw happening in the Old Testament, right? We We meet the story of, you know, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob has a family, leads them into Egypt, and years after they've been in Egypt, Israel, right, Israel's children, they grow so big that they're threatening to the Egyptians. And so, the Egyptians have this great idea that they're gonna make these people slaves. And so we meet this moment where Israel has been in slavery for 430 years, 430 years, right? So there's people here now who who have been born a slave They've lived a slave. They've spent every waking moment of their lives with the the identity being reinforced that they have no value, that they are nothing but a slave. I mean, put yourself in their shoes for just a moment and it's, it's, it's not very hard to see them getting to the place of feeling absolutely worthless, that day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, they live believing this lie, that they're nothing, that I'm worthless. And then God raises up Moses, Moses the deliverer, and he has this great moment standing before Pharaoh where he says, let My people go. And through the course of plagues and great events that happen, God, through Moses, delivers his people out of slavery. And they go out in the most magnificent fashion, right? Gold and silver. And they cross over the Red Sea on dry land. And outwardly, they were finally, after 430, 30 years, they're finally free, outwardly free, but inwardly, they're still a slave, right? Like on the outside, they've been freed from slavery. But as you read through the story, you realize that slavery wasn't out of them. And quickly we can identify or place ourselves into this story because as we celebrate this wonderful resurrection of Jesus, that that we've been freed from the bondage of sin. Yet so many of us find ourselves still being a slave to a shame about our identity that just isn't true. And I've realized something. That the only way to heal from shame is to move the focus, is to move our attention from what I am not. Because here's the thing, there are always going to be things that I am not. Shame isn't trying to become so perfect that no longer there are things you are not. The only way to heal from shame is to move the focus of our attention from what I am not to who Christ is. Right? Because as long as you're focused on yourself, right, you could be forgiven. You could be cleansed. You could be in the vine. You could be covered with the wonderful blood of Jesus, but as long as your focus is on yourself, you are destined to live with this shame-based thinking and live still believing that you are something that God says you are not. Jesus paid a high price to break shame's hold on our life. And this is what it says in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 22. It says, for the joy that was set before him, he, he being Jesus, endured the cross. He endured everything that was happening to him. But he makes a statement, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. That Jesus endures the cross. He, he endures the, the, sh- the beatings. He, he endures the whippings. He endures the nails. He endures death. And, and in this, all the while, hating, despising, scorning the shame of this moment, This is what we see about our wonderful Savior Jesus. That that from the very beginning of time, that that he scorns the shame. He he scorns the shame in the Garden of Eden, right? He hates the shame that would try to attach itself to us. He he hates the shame that tries to attach himself to David as David commits adultery. He he scorns, he hates the shame that would try to attach itself to Peter, to make Peter run and flee because of his denial. He he scorns even the shame of Judas's betrayal that led to his crucifixion. Can I tell you something today? In the same way, Jesus scorns the shame. He hates the shame that would try to crush your soul and kill your joy. He despises the shame of, of, of these lies. He despises the shame maybe of that hidden eating habit that you have he despises the shame of the sexual sin that maybe is in your past he he loathes the shame of that financial failure that you just carry around with you he he hates the shame of that the deep secret that you keep on the inside of you and and the darkest hurts of your life he he hates that we carry around the shame and hates the shame that we carry from what we look at. He hates the shame that we carry because of what we think about, about what you said, about what you did, maybe about what you didn't do. He he hates the shame of your self-doubt or hates the shame of, of your self-hatred. He, he hates the shame of, of who you were then. He, he hates the shame that you feel about who you are now. And this was the victory of the cross that Jesus, in this moment, he looks at the shame. He looks at the opportunity to attach himself to this wrong identity, and he looks at it and he says, I despise you, that you are nothing to me, that there's nothing that can separate me from the joy that's pushing me to endure this moment. He says, shame, you have no power. You're nothing to me compared to the joy that set before me. You're nothing. You can't distract me. You can't discourage me. You can't defeat me. And you are almost... Finished, and he looks into heaven and stretches out his hands in this moment of extreme vulnerability. And he defeats shame's power over us. Can I tell you, church, the only way to heal from your shame is to move the focus are to who Christ is. Now, now I want to qualify this because we make these confessions over our lives that confession is not a denial of circumstances. Confession is not that, that we pretend things aren't happening in our lives. It's not that we try to act as if the circumstances aren't real. Confession is a statement of covenant. You see, confession is not just, I am not sick. Because the circumstance in your life, you may be going through things. Confession is not a denial of circumstances, confession is a statement of covenant. It's, I am not sick because Christ has healed me, right? I am not broken because Christ, through his ultimate sacrifice on the cross, has made me whole. I am not unwanted, but because of what Christ has done for me, I am loved and and I am set apart and I am chosen and I am accepted because you see, in me, I could never be enough but Christ in me is more than enough. So we remember the Israelites. They've gone through 430 years of shame. 430 years of shame-based thinking and shame-based identity, and, and they've come out of slavery. But the shame of being a slave still in them and there's a significant moment that happens years maybe decades later and in joshua chapter 5 verses 9 it says this then the lord said to joshua and let me make this as a prophetic statement over each and every one of our lives the lord says this to Joshua. he says today Come on, wherever you are right now, I want you to say that over yourself. Today, it says this, Today I have rolled away the shame of your slavery in Egypt. Right, so what is this? This is Jesus saying, he enters into the moment, and he says no more shame right come on somebody some people may have said to you in times in your life you know shame on you but I'm here to deliver a message to you that today God is saying shame off of you that not because of what you have done but because of Christ you are worthy of love you are worthy of connection the cross It was for you, and his love for you is settled. That Jesus in this moment looks through time and he sees you in this moment. It says he endured. Why did he endure? He endured because he knew. He knew as he carried the cross, broken and bloodied and betrayed up that hill. He knew that if he could endure the shame, you could be free from it. And so seeing you free, seeing you free from shame, seeing you free from condemnation, from shame-based thinking, seeing you free gave him the joy, the joy that was set before him. He endures the cross scorns the shame also in this moment he could tell you son daughter you are not what you did you're not what you do you're not even what you're gonna do you're not what someone did to you you are not what others think of you you're not even What you think you are, you are forever and only who Christ says that you are. That in Christ you are free, in Christ you are forgiven, in Christ you are changed, in Christ you are redeemed, in Christ you are healed and blessed and chosen, in Him you are complete and in Him you are accepted. This was the joy of the covenant. was knowing forever and always you are only who he says that you are. Shame off us this morning. Heavenly Father, we come to you in this moment. Father, so many of us have lived with this shame-based thinking thinking that we are only as good as we can be. And because oftentimes we can't be that good, we live with a shame-based identity. Father, we choose this morning as an act of our will to stop looking at all the things we are not, to stop looking at all the things maybe that we think we should be or shouldn't be, fix our attention on who you are. Because you are perfect and you are complete.